This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. No, I've never seen anything like that, even in movies. The big piles of water in Mile Long, stuff like that. Running a river with cottonwoods appearing and disappearing. It's crazy. I mean, the typical water molecule was going downstream, but it was all turbulence. This episode of The River Radius is a campfire story, an impromptu telling of a high-water run down Cataract Canyon in 1983 when Cat hit well above 100,000 CFS. This story came out of the woodwork one evening last October 2018 on a cataract trip. We had seven-year-old twins, a 72-year-old man, and lots of folks in between. Four members of the trip, including that 72-year-old man, are guides from the golden age of guiding, who ran rivers across the Colorado Plateau as young guides in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, and some of them are still guiding today. Three of them were working in Cataract Canyon in 1983 when Glen Canyon Dam almost blew out. We got word that they were going to tell the story of this high-water run. I pulled out my recording gear, sat between the storytellers, and just listened. Bago, Lori Cooper, and Tim Cooper tell us their story of 119,000 CFS in Cataract Canyon. I find it fun to think of these folks telling the story as they might have been. In 1983, Bago was 36 years old, Tim was 31, and Lori was 27. You can hear the rapids in the background, the fire crackling, and the kids whispering. We were coming downstream with the charter that was starting at Sand Wash and ending at Height. So it was the same people that we picked up at Sand Wash. It was like a family. And we came down the green side of 55,000. And everything, you couldn't stop anywhere. All the hikes were underwater. The bugs were horrifying. Right. They were just the worst you could ever imagine. It was just wet from cliff to cliff. And the river was in the middle and everything else was a pond. Just this larval breeding station that went for 60 miles down the river. And it was just cranking out mosquitoes like it was Alaska. And biting flies and green-headed flies. And they just took turns at you. And we sat there and went, well, shall we go downstream? Uh, boy, I don't know. Part of the reason the flows get so high in Cataract Canyon on the Colorado is because it sits about four miles below the confluence of two large rivers, the Colorado River itself and the Green River. The Colorado starts in the Rocky Mountains near Denver and is draining the watershed of the Rockies for about half of the mountains in the state of Colorado. The Green starts in the Wind River Mountains of Wyoming and is pulling in an equally large watershed. When the both of these mountain ranges have received significant snowpacks and are melting off at the same times, which doesn't actually happen that often, these two rivers can dump two huge mountain ranges of water into one stretch of river, creating high water scenarios that are both beautiful and overwhelming at the same time. It was like 70-something thousand at that point. We weren't going to get to Cap for like another five days. Prediction was that now it's never ever been this high before, it's going to start dropping and it'll probably drop out real fast. So, by the time you get down to Cat, it will have dropped to the point that from 119 to 118. Yeah, <laughs> every time we'd stop for anything, we'd put a stick in the water, it's just like oh, it was still just booming. <laughs>
We keep hearing about the high water number as a CFS value, that cubic feet per second number. I've said it, the storytellers have said it, I want to bring some clarity to the number of 119,000 CFS. I did some research on the water levels, and the National Park Service historic records say the high flow in 1983 was 104,700 CFS at Cataract. These guys who were there and are telling the story around this campfire say it was 119,000 CFS. As I search more and more, I can find a variety of high flow data about the water going into Lake Powell that season, but nothing that makes me feel like I know exactly what the high mark was. One contributing challenge is that in 1983, and even today, there is not a USGS gauge to measure the water level right at Cataract Canyon. To determine the daily flow in Cataract, two gauges are used. In 1983, they were using one on the Green River that is about 120 miles upstream, and the other on the Colorado is about 90 miles upstream. So that means two gauges, then a combining of those flows, and an estimation of how long it will take those flows to reach Cataract. Further, Lake Powell had inflow measurements, but those are combined records of all inflows on the reservoir, and the Colorado through Cataract is not the only inflow. According to the National Park Service, the following year, 1984, had even higher flows at 114,900 CFS. That stands as the official record. Okay, so we will trust that the flows are over 100,000 CFS. That is still huge high water. Personally, I have experienced cataract at 56,000 CFS with a long swim through the big drops. It hurt. It was terrifying, the waves crushed, the water was tremendously fast, and it was trying to pull me down. So, when I think about 104,000 versus 119,000 CFS, I don't see the difference. And yes, there is one, but it's all crazy high. And it's 35 years later, and now it's a campfire story. Okay, that is the CFS disclaimer. Back to the story. We were doing flip-over practice down on the green side coming down. Took all the glass bottles out of one boat and we just go out there and just roll it, make sure everyone had done a, a, a flip over And a raft. A raft, a support a, boat, and, and two doors. And a J rig. Huh? Well, did we have a J rig? No, you didn't have a J rig. I don't think you had a J rig. <laughs> Not till later. That was later. But you were down there. You might have had a support boat, but I don't know. Well, if it was a raft. Tom Reese rode the raft. Tom Reese, yeah. right. So it was two doors and a raft. You were ahead of us, and we came down behind you from Green River after having debated whether it was wise to continue. But on predictions of dropping water, we left Green River, and it just came up and up and up and up everywhere. And we, there was no place to camp. All the camps were underwater. We rode up Barrier Canyon for what, like a mile? God, forever. Just really? forever up there, trying to find a place to stop for to the camp, night. camp, and then you got up there and it was bad. Everything else was underwater, and, and it was just like this tamarisk grove, and we got to the end, and we sort of sent, we cooked on the boats um. and sent people out into the tamarisk to sleep. <laughs> find I never got off my boat. <laughs> I mean, and then it, you'd just take one step off the boat, and this cloud of mosquitoes would just arise at it. It was, a, it was rough. Just getting there. Tim and Lori have floated down the green with their clients at 55,000 CFS. That is all flat water, yet still wicked fast, and it is also immensely beautiful canyon scenery. They eventually meet the Colorado at the confluence, and this doubles the level of the river, and this is still flat water. Their next big stop is at Spanish Bottom. Spanish Bottom is three miles below the confluence of the green and Colorado rivers, and just one mile above the beginning of the rapids in Cataract. 
It is a wide open area in the canyon, but still deep in the canyon. Trips often camp here after the many miles and days of flat water and get prepped for the white water to come. They rigged a flip. In 1983, when the water was at its high, all trips were stopped here, waiting for the water to drop. Spanish Bottom was a zoo. There was a lot of trips backed up there. And during this whole zoo of people trying to decide what they're going to do and the river being closed and opened, a bat came in and bit that ranger yeah, in the Yeah, flew nose. into his tent in the middle of the night <laughs> and scratched him on the nose. So he was going out, he was for, going out for rabies shots. This all happened. And then, oh, and this is when the, this guy had come down here with some, he thought his uh, boat was inadequate for the, to the test. He said, oh, it doesn't hold air. It's really floppy. It was a, some kind of snout rig, I think. But anyway, he got down here and, and he said, no, nah, I'm not going down in there. <clears throat> with this boat and he had it rolled up on the beach when we pulled in and he would sent out for a new rubber by radio because the park had a radio connection and he had been there for a couple of days with the people I don't know what happened to his people I, don't know I, think, I think he had people anyway he'd sent out for for new rubber and this jet boat came down with a load of stuff rolled off some new tubes picked up a bunch of other stuff roared back upstream and he rolled those tubes out and they were worse than the ones that he had oh boy and he got so mad that he got a ride across to red lake canyon and hiked out and that was the last anyone ever heard of him. The end of his whitewater career but all this was happening just as a sort of sideline to all the rest of the stuff Cataract Canyon is within the boundaries of Canyonlands National Park in Utah, and much of the Colorado River upstream of Cataract for about 50 miles is also in the park. Because Cat is inside a national park, and because the whitewater can be some of, if not the largest whitewater in the United States at high water, the National Park has a river management department that involves river rangers. These are highly skilled boat guides, who also might be law enforcement park rangers, and these folks have the job of working with the humans traveling here to angle them towards safety and care for the natural resource. In a year like 1983, they had to be down in the canyon managing the river corridor full-time until the high water receded. That year, they had a 20-foot Zodiac with two motors at 50 horsepower each, a great boat for the job. For optimal interaction with boaters and easy access to the rapids, the Park Service had a camp set up at Spanish Bottom. Park Service had set up a camp there to warn everybody off. Don't go down there. And they hadn't been down. They didn't want to go. They didn't want to go. And they were told that if the dories went, they had to go with us. And they were just going, you're not going, are you? You're not going. (laughs) What what, didn't they close, Cat? A couple days before? They had closed it before, yeah. And there'd been a drowning. I think they had just opened it back up, and that's when Loki left. And nobody had. Loki left right about the time. But nobody had been down there in three days, and we pull in. We just got there, and the Moki boat, which was down there tied up to that big cottonwood tree at the corner, a guy named Pete. Repeat. Pete Peterson. Repeat, they call him. <laughs> I was driving this boat, and we pull in, and it's like we're talking to the ranger, and the motor fires up, and it's like, oh no, someone's leaving, and no one had left in three days. I don't think that anyone had been down there in three days. And so he comes back motoring back up 
stream a little bit, and he's got, you can see he's got his boatload of people, and they're all wearing two life jackets. And they, it turns into the current, and he's headed downstream, and we had just pulled in and said, let's go down and see if we can watch him run Brown Betty. So, which is impossible, because, you know, it's like a mile. And so we're running down the river trail to see if we can catch repeat going through and Eric twists his ankle Eric Jodan twists his ankle to the point like he can't even walk and so we abandon this thing of walking down to the rapid and build Eric a crutch and walk back upstream you know he's leaning on one guy he's got a, this crutch that we'd fastened fashioned for him and he was hobbling back upstream and when we got back to the ranger camp the radio was already going off and it said, Moki boat tips over in big drop three, comes apart in Satan's gut, multiple injuries. <coughs> I'm off. And that was the first first guy through in three days. And it was like 20 minutes after they left. They didn't, yeah. You got down there so fast. You got there so fast. It was just, it was hauling ass. And right when we get there, the hill, the channel 2 news helicopter lands with the note from you i mean all this shit came down in the like a two hour period one thing after another eric's all busted up we're down one boat when the helicopter lands before we get into the stories of the rapids let's zoom out and get the big picture first where did all this water come from The winter of 1982-83 produced enormous snowfall across the Wind River Mountains and Rocky Mountains. Then a few early spring snowstorms, followed by rain, laid down on top of that winter snowpack. These spring storms were followed by warm temperatures. This was the perfect recipe for lots of water following gravity quickly. Snow, 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 and a a rapid melt. And And, and a really rainy, rainy day. Three warm storms on a big snowpack. And after Cataract, where does all of the water go that just blasted through there? Cataract Canyon is just above Lake Powell on the Colorado River. Lake Powell is the giant reservoir on the Utah-Arizona border, capturing the waters of the Colorado River for municipal and agricultural consumption and electrical production throughout the southwestern United States. Powell is held back by Glen Canyon Dam, and the project was completed in 1966. From that point forward, the Bureau of Reclamation, the federal agency managing the dam for the U.S. government, had been working to fill this giant reservoir. With this large snowmelt coming down in the spring, and the Bureau of Reclamation working to get the reservoir full, it was suddenly just that. Full. Full to the top of the dam full. It was so full that the Bureau of Reclamation was releasing as much water as possible out of the dam, including the use of its emergency spillways. This was creating a flow into the Grand Canyon of 97,000 CFS. These efforts weren't proving to be enough, and the water in Powell was going to flow over the top of the dam, which very possibly could have caused the dam to collapse. In a last-ditch effort, the Bureau of Reclamation added 8 feet to the top of the dam by building a plywood wall all the way across the top of the dam about 1,500 feet long. Seriously, a plywood wall to hold back the water. That water being held back was the top 8 feet of a 180-mile-long reservoir that started just after the last rapid in Cataract Canyon. Amazingly, it worked. And the other thing that was going on at the same time, for any of you who've read the Emerald Mile, that's when they were really yeah. afraid of losing Glen Canyon at that exact yeah. same time. So the rest of Grand Canyon Doors was down 
in Grand Canyon while we were up here, and we're just like, we truly thought the dam could go. I mean, they're putting plywood on top of it. Like they're adding eight feet of plywood to the top of the spillway. That's so crazy. They were holding the lake high because they only recently had it filled for the first time. They finally got it full. It took them a whole lot longer to get it all the way to full pool. And the folks running in the Grand at 90,000 didn't like it. It's out of control. I wish that water would have hung on for two more weeks. Yeah. Things would be different. Yeah, they didn't leave <laughs> any. It would have overtopped the plywood. The system was full, it's as full as it can be. I mean, there's water running to the Gulf of Mexico for the first time in a long time. Not so full anymore. No. <laughs> Let's hear a description of what the river actually looked like at these high levels. Popcorn water that's in cap. The only place that, that that exists in the Grand is at Granite. Right. This whole canyon has popcorn that? water. Yeah, every which way. So you come up over the top of one wave and there's the next wave. And by the time you go down the face of the wave you're on, that wave can be over there or over there or gone. There's, there's no predicting where the waves are. If giant waves like a mile long and then like big whirlpools in the wave, at the face of the wave, there'd be this thing. And one of the big things with water, with that water that was so big, it's so hard to stop. It's hard to get everybody stopped at the same place. And the eddies are just horrendous. Okay, back to the story. Record snow is melting fast and racing to the Gulf of California. Spanish Bottom is a zoo with trips backed up waiting for the water to drop. Lake Powell might blow out except for the grace of plywood. And the river is high, scary, fast, and unpredictable. Let's go back to Spanish Bottom and hear about the helicopter landing with the note from Bago. The note we got was Bago flips in the North Seas, people in the water going into Big Drop One, barely got out, got into shore, pulled the boats up on the beach, and recommend you don't go below Spanish Bottom. That was the note. I don't know about the people loose, because we all wound up in the same corner pocket eddy at the bottom of the North Seas. What's the corner pocket eddy left to right? Right where the river turns right at the bottom of the North Seas, yep. kerplunk, in an eddy with no driftwood and all my people in my boat. I'm going, that's lucky. So this all started with my little two-boat trip and a uh, raft for support, no motor bridge. And we're tied, tied up to a shore that's just the water's doing this. There's no place to uh, tie up and, and hope that your dory's not going to get a hole put in it or something. Way up behind these trees. That's how high the water was. Bago just said he had his dories tied way up behind these trees. He means that in 1983, he had his boats tied up to the trees right at the beach where he is now telling the story around the campfire in 2018. I looked around the next morning. We would have been sitting under about 30 to 40 feet of water back in 1983. Go down to Scout, and there were the trail you used to go down there, we're way up in the hillside because this trail's underwater by 20 feet. So a whole new trail was developed to go down and look at the big drops. Got down there, and a, a raft party came by, boat upside down, boom. In the tail waves of two, 
then a motor rig came down, upside down. I'm just going, holy mackerel. I've got two boats and a raft. Suppose we're all upside down. Well, I, I managed to get down to Big Drop 3, and the left shore was just this big waterfall with a tree sticking straight up at you at the bottom of the waterfall. If you, if you went over that, just like a marshmallow. <laughs> and I'm just going, I, I can't ask my people to do that. It wasn't really a strong group of people. Now, knowing what I know now, I would have stopped on the right, sent them walking, and run the rapid. I think. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, hard saying. That's easy to say now. So then the helicopter was here, and uh, I sent a note up just going, don't go below Spanish Bottom. I didn't think it was a river trip. I thought it was a daredevil stunt Yeah, kind to of. get through here. River trips are different. The coolest part of running down to here was mile long. Big mounds of water. It was the safest place in the canyon. It was like being on the ocean. Big mounds of water. You know, today the river, back and forth, back and forth. This was just river. Big mounds of water. It was awesome. I bet they were 30 feet high. Not kidding. Every eddy in Cataract Canyon was filled with wood. So much wood you couldn't push through it. So we tied up here and went down and scouted, saw those boat flips, saw the log in Big Drop 3 and wrote the note. That created quite a sensation. So then what, Coop? Tim and Lori's trip takes a different path. It begins with a boss who is pushing Tim to ignore Bago's note. When a commercial river trip leaves the warehouse and starts on the river, there is almost always a hierarchy formally assigned to the guides on the trip by the trip manager back at the warehouse. This gives some order to the trip regarding roles and decision-making and is based on experience and other skills. Tim recalls that he was the assigned trip leader but is feeling a pressure from his boss, who is the owner of the company, who suddenly arrived at Spanish Bottom on another raft to make sure this trip is completed so that no refunds have to be issued. Take note that the pronoun he and his refers to the owner of the company. Provisionally, I'm supposed to be the trip leader. So there's this kind of gray area there. You're supposed to be the boss, but not really. <laughs> Come to find out years later, his whole company is hanging on the successful completion of this trip without issuing any refunds. Yeah. Oh, I, know, I didn't know He's that. about to go under, but he has this one paying trip, and it's <coughs> going to pay all his bills and save him. And if it were to, like, be stopped midway and him have to issue refunds to people for like half the trip that that would break and he doesn't have the money yes you are hearing it correctly money and high water to be clear tim is employed by a few raft companies the owner of the company these folks are working for on this high water trip is struggling financially in 1983 and needs to have a good season and needs this trip to not be canceled which would require refunds so the company owner is pushing Tim and Lori and the rest of the crew to carry on with the trip. And if you're thinking there is poor risk management happening from the owner, you're probably not the only one. Tim, Lori, and crew are thinking the same. So far, it's been flat water. Now it's about to become huge high water. So he's really anxious that the thing go through. Highest water on record. 
and, and like more than twice as much water as anyone's ever taken a dory through here on. And we're a little apprehensive, <laughs> but he's like, no, this has got to happen. I don't care. You know, we're all going. And we'd been with these people from Sand Wash and they weren't. When we had a cancer survivor, this gal had just gotten out of the hospital. She was like, had scars down the middle of her chest. Oh, like, we had an eight-year-old and a grandma. Kids we had and grandma. We could have taken out like, the whole family. But we didn't, as it turns out, we're going to take these dories downstream. And, and, and it's like, no, I don't think so. And Lori is just like, she just goes off. So we work out this compromise. It's like, okay, uh, we can probably, oh. Lessen the likelihood of major lawsuits if we were to give them some kind of a river experience and then some other kind of thing that would make it feel like they'd paid their money and had this adventure. So, okay, so we'll run them down to Range Creek in the Dories and then had this helicopter thing going in the LaSalle's, a skiing thing. He knew all these guys from Rocky Mountain helicopters, so he got some guy to just like he'd been building power lines within you know helicopter radiant with this great big giant helicopter that she used for building power lines llama french aerospatial llama and so he gets him to come in so we run from spanish bottom down to range creek on like ninety-five thousand cfs and it was the scariest it is just like being out on the ocean this big brown ocean you can't tell what's going on the waves are so high you can't see the end of them you can't see the top of them there's things that are breaking on the face of them that could flip you over there's whirlpools and you're, and you're running with cottonwood trees and they're yeah. just coming out of the water and crashing down and railroad tie it's just like the craziest stuff that you can imagine out there and we did that for it was like five miles and we were all just breathing hard. You'd just be trying to get to one side of the river, you'd just be busting the gut, and then this thing would come up and just go whoop, and you'd be just lose everything you'd ever gained. And you're just well, totally the, out of control. The eddy lines were horrendous. And the eddy lines had two feet of relief. It was just nuts, and we all made it to shore there, just like, okay, that was enough. They got the boats and customers safely down the five miles from Spanish Bottom to Range Creek at about 100,000 CFS, you heard the description that it was like a big brown ocean with cottonwood trees rolling in the river. And now they are supposed to start a helicopter shuttle of the passengers. But the boss isn't really interested in shuttling the people past the whitewater, even though he agreed to it earlier. He keeps pushing for the guides to agree to take the customers all the way down. To try and convince his guides to do this, he suggests that the guides take a helicopter ride down the river to scout the rapids. There are two he references here. The first he is the boss of the company, the second he is the helicopter pilot, who are two different people. He pulled in and stopped on the beach and said, let's go look at the rest of the canyon by helicopter. Because I think he still was hopeful that we would, after we had scouted it, we might want to still go on. So we all climbed in this helicopter. It's like his own personal helicopter. Nobody else gets on there. It looks like my pickup truck. All the glass on every gauge is broken out. It has big rip in the upholstery that's got a big like duct tape over the seat. It's got like frayed seat belts. There's a crack in the bubble. No door. <laughs> you climb in this thing, and it's just like, okay. And we all got in there. 
and I'm sitting there right next to this place which should be a door but there isn't a door and you're and you're just like okay let's go because he was just building power lines this morning with this thing and we go down and scout the whole entirety of Cataract Canyon in this helicopter and he gets about maybe 50 feet off the water and just starts hauling ass downstream and you come around that corner to where you can see big drought everything mile long and everything and down there on the bottom at the at the last place you can see is big drop two and niagara is just this foaming thing that from five miles away it just will stop your heart you just go oh my god look at that thing just just this gnarly gnarliest of holes and when he goes down the canyon at you know 110 miles an hour and does this pivot right over the niagara <laughs> to where I'm like hanging from my seatbelt and looking in the, into the maw of this thing and there's just this sort of and back upstream and just went, no fucking way, we're not going down there boats, this is insanity. Better wisdom pulls through after the helicopter scout and the guides and company owner agree to shuttle the people downriver using the helicopter. I'll make it clear that this is not really a normal component of a river trip. The only place I know of a helicopter shuttle that is normal is on a river in Alaska, and I'm sure there are likely a few other rivers where it happens, but really it's not normal. With that said, the helicopter pilot seems game for anything. For reference, the Doll's House is a fantastic rock formation on the canyon rim, and Tencent is the beach past all the rapids where the customers will be dropped. So he takes all the people down one trip at a time, as many as he can carry drops them off and he does a little like turn over the doll's house just to give him a thrill drops him at 10 cent he comes back up and we're all the boatmen are just the only ones left there and he lands he goes i'm out of gas i got enough on board for one more trip what do you want to do it's like huh so all the people are down there they don't have any food they don't have any kitchen they don't have a toilet they don't have they don't have gear they don't have anything they don't have anything it's just like well uh let's pile every all this stuff into your helicopter because there's no way you'll fit that in the in the cockpit i go well how about if you were to sling load one of these boats down full of all that stuff he goes yeah i could probably do that how much do they weigh <laughs> like, oh, 600 pounds it goes all oh, easy yeah, that's nothing compared to these these power lines. So uh, we start throwing everybody's stuff on this boat. And on my boat, the Tuolumne aluminum boat, we're throwing all this stuff on there. And he it was going to take this boat full of stuff. And I went, ah, oh, man, okay. And I told him, I said, you know, we've tried to fly these things before. They don't really fly that well. They're, they're too big. They have so much surface area that prop wash is pushing on him he goes yeah yeah throw it on he's really <laughs> so he's rolling a cigarette he's dressed in like all this cowboy regalia and, he, and he's got like you know cowboy booth cowboy straw hat he's rolling a cigarette he's just like throw it on there and going yeah you smart ass and and then he goes i don't want to pick it up on the sand i'd rather pick it up out of the water because i won't turban in the sand downwash okay fine so it's my boat and it and he's tied up to this thing already and 
it's just full, it's heaping full of stuff. I mean, we just had lines over the top. And it just, and now he wants me to push it out into the river right at the start of mile long with him and his little helicopter thing there. And he's gonna pick it up and fly it down the river. And I go, oh, this is gonna be good. <laughs> so I just could see it just like come to the end of the tether and just going right at the wall. It's like, yeah, right, you smart ass. And it would have served him right, but, you know, so we did. We got it out there. We pushed it off in the river, and I just hot-footed it up to behind the biggest rock I could with my camera because I'm just figuring there's going to be helicopter parts all over the landscape. And, uh, my Or that, or we won't be able to get it out. I'm, he's going to be, like, trolling my boat down through my lawn, you know, just trying to lift it out. It's like, ooh, 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 but no, he just like, it, it went out, it kind of hit the current, he waited till it hit the current, he just rocked a little and he came off and he just like hit the end of that cord and the dadgum thing just rocketed out of the water. And the next thing I knew it was going downstream at 60 miles an hour, just like, <laughs> with the, the Tuolumne was like back here in the helicopter. <laughs> so he dropped my boat, the, the one, we had one crew member down there, they said he just set it on the water, half half in, half out of the water, dropped the thing and just hot-footed it back. He was almost out of gas. The helicopter shuttle is successful in getting the one dory downriver with all the necessary gear and all the customers from Tim and Lori's trip safely past the rapids. But the guides still need to get down the river, and Vega is downriver from Tim and Lori, and he needs to get picked up. What both trips do is pull their dory boats out of the water and tie them off above the high water mark and leave them in the canyon to be retrieved in a few weeks after the water level drops. Tim and Lori and their other guides get on the snout rig, that big motorized raft they have, and run downriver through a lot of big rapids. They meet up with Bago and his crew, load Bago's passengers on the snout rig and all of Bago's guides. Then the snout rig and the Avon Spirit raft, which mainly holds supplies, head down river and into the big drops. That leaves us up there with one snout rig, one Avon spirit, and like 14 people. Me and Bego, and a guy named Franklin. Franklin uh -huh. was in the spirit. Franklin rode that spirit through there. It was a bucket boat. That was superhuman. Real quick, what is a bucket boat? It is simply a normal river raft that has a floor that does not drain water. So, when any river water gets in the boat from crashing waves over the boat, the boat just fills with water. This water has to be bailed out of the boat with either a bilge pump or a bucket, hence a bucket boat. One gallon of water weighs eight pounds, and these rafts can take on a few hundred gallons of loose water, and this just makes these boats really hard to steer and get moving to the place you want them to go. And in that high water, it's most preferable to have a boat that goes where you want it to go. So, this guy Franklin rode the Avon Spirit, the bucket boat, and it surely filled up with water. He did it successfully through the big drops. I agree. That is superhuman. And we stopped and looked at the uh, running right of Niagara. And it was just this awe-inspiring hole. It was so big. And, and the little slot that you went through on the right side just fell off into that thing. And I thought, man gravity got the better of the current you could just fall in there and you'd never come out but we didn't and it all worked out 
Bathamus, who was driving that snout rig, he had on a full-on wetsuit and two life jackets, and he was shaking like a leaf. And it was like, oh boy, here we go. And he did a great job. Yeah. He was really... He'd okay. been down there once at really 80,000. He was their high water guy. What was that like? Uh, well, nothing happened. Exciting. It was, it was exciting. It was total luck. It's not... It, that was a river of luck, not skill. Yeah. Bob Quist had the idea. He ran the left side of two and turned around and ferried across the river below all this popcorn water, just yeah. above three. Uh-huh. If your motor quit, you're... Woo. Yeah. Skewered on the tree, I saw. Right. But it was the slickest run of the day. The slickest run of the day, indeed. They made it. All members of this trip made it through cataract that season, and the guides went back a couple of weeks later after the water dropped to 60,000 CFS and retrieved the dories they had stashed during the highest water. The anticlimactic portion of this trip is that right after the rapids at the big drops, Lake Powell begins when it is full, and it was full that year. What that means is the river stops flowing and the river trip is now on a human-created reservoir, water with no current, a full torrent to none at all. They would then motor down the reservoir about 30 miles and take out at Height Marina. We'll wrap up with this last thought from those who were there. Are you all glad that's a part of your life? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, just just like long falls climbing. You don't want to take them, but they're in your resume. And we were the only people that ever, that went through there that day. 119,000, approximately. 119,000 CFS, that's... that's Skip crazy. it, that's stay home. <laughs> <laughs> This episode of The River Radius was recorded and produced by me, Sam Carter. Historical accuracy assistance came from Mike Dehoff. Huge thanks go out to Lori Cooper, Tim Cooper, and Bagel for sharing their story. You can find The River Radius by name on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Instagram, Facebook, and our website. Our show music is composed and performed by Diabolical Sound Platoon. We are always looking for more great show topics and leads on river culture. You can reach us by email, hello at theriverradius.com. More episodes are available online. Thanks so much for joining The River Radius. There's going to be helicopter parts all over the landscape. I mean, the typical water molecule was going downstream, but it was all turbulence. Looks like my pickup truck. But we were all trembling in our boots. Be hot foot in the back. Big mounds of water. Into the mall. Okay, do we get a cut of the movie rights? <laughs> <laughs>